This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about Time Out of Joint, a Philip K. Dick novel from 1959. And uh, I noticed on the Wikipedia entry that it says that it was serialized in the British science fiction magazine New Worlds under the title Biography in Time, which is not what it was serialized under. It was serialized under Time Out of Joint. Um, So I guess that's... The Enterer is from another dimension, an alternate world or something, or it's just an error. <laughs> double, double, double check your information whenever you go to Wikipedia. Is is the is the takeaway from that? Yeah, I guess hmm. uh, uh, it is not cited, which is uh, good. Did, I sent that out as a three uh, a triptych of covers. Did you guys see that? There's not many no. illustrations for this. Um, it's kind of cute. It's a little bit low res. It's got, um, the squares and the little green man and, uh, you know, sort of some domestic 1950s settings. And then the third one has these weird people with tattoos on their face. And that's the weirdest part of this book, I think, is what yeah. is Philip K. Dick saying about <laughs> the future of 1998 or what? Yeah, it's uh, weird. Is he is he right about is that how we're? It's kind of like he just finished reading um, uh, Clockwork Orange or something. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, I was actually recently reminded of tattoos on the face because I recently watched Back to the Future Two because Back to the Future oh, Two has as a setting has a scene set in 2015 and ah. and at, w- at one point we we meet these uh teenagers in 2015 and a couple of them have like these designs on their face i had mm. not remembered that and so i was like hey facial tattoos that sounds familiar i just listened yeah. about that and he's not he wasn't too far off was he because isn't there isn't around the 90s like the first time people started um mucking around with you know like implants under their skin and filing their teeth mm-hmm. and doing all those mm-hmm. weird kind of things I mean you if you look hard enough you can find some people you know in a group I'm sure with facial tattoos <laughs> I mean <laughs> I'm not teeth. talking Maoris I'm talking you know like yeah. Yeah. Sort of kids uh-huh who've just made really terrible lifestyle choices <laughs> <laughs> Um, but their, their patois is pretty, uh, hard to understand. I, I, I think Regal eventually figures out what they're saying. I do never, I don't think I ever figured out what they were saying. You, I had to pick it up from context afterwards. I mean, eventually we figure out they're asking if they want to get high when they, when they break, break out the, uh, the carbon tetrachloride. It's like, oh, that's what they're asking. You want to get mm. high? Oh, I forgot. There were large chunks of this novel I had forgotten from the last time I read this. It's my first time. I never read it before. Yeah, me too. So this is relatively early Dick. And so a, a lot of the things he's cycled and recycled aren't there yet, or they're here in proto, proto form. So I'm curious how the two of you reacted to that, especially you, Jesse, since you're, since you read as much Dick as I do, or as if not more. Well, I read a lot of the short stories, so there was um there was a number of you know themes that are showing up the small this is the most nineteen fifty story ever though i uh, uh it 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 almost seemed like 
wow, this is this really 59? It feels like, you know, st- straight in the middle of 1955. It feels like everything is 50s, you know. Marilyn Monroe, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you, obviously, the, the, they're not convinced that that's right, but the, like the the fear of um, nuclear war, all all the uh, it feels much more like the middle of the fifties, and it also uh, the majority of the novel deals with sort of nineteen fifty. Well, uh, when it's when it's not you know hinting as to what's going on, it's dealing with the very nineteen fifty fifties. Everything, but that right? totally makes sense because exactly they've, they've frozen it. Like, why would they? Why would they keep on evolving the culture? Like, if they, if it's been what was it like? It's like three years that old towns existed for. Mm-hmm. So they've probably just taken middle fifties and just frozen it. And only pieces of it. I mean, because like yeah. Marilyn Monroe, no radio is just wiped out entirely, so they can't get contact from the outside world. Yeah. Was that a real movie, by the way? Uh, the 1950 movie, 1950s movie, Marilyn Monroe goes to England to work with Laurence Olivier. I don't that, know. That, does, that doesn't sound like a, a a project that actually happened. But I don't know. I have to, I'd have to actually. It's a, it's a, it's interesting um, because a lot of the time when Philip K. Dick does something, you know, like in the Man in the High Castle or something. Yes, The Prince and the Showgirl, 1957. Okay, so that sort of Checked tells us out. where it was. Yeah, it was frozen in '55 or something, right? Because she, she, she's, she's, um, she, she must have rose up in the '40s. Marilyn uh, Monroe was a '50s phenomenon. But she's a uh, totally a '50s phenomenon. Yeah, hmm. I'd never heard of this one. Oh, you know, well, she, there, she had a couple. 40s roles, it looks like, but nothing big. I mean, her picture yeah, she totally wasn't 50s. the star. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like also that there's uh, there's one cover of of this. Uh, I think it's the science fiction masterworks collection that has uh, uh, two covers of Time on it, and one has Marilyn Monroe on the cover, and the other has Regal Gum on the cover. Yeah, that's a great. Cover. Oh, cool. That's <laughs> very cool. Um, I looked up the date of that time uh, with Marilyn Monroe on it. It's actually the actually, wrong date. Actually, not time with life. I'm just scanning that. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. It might be. Yeah. Um, I looked up that day of the week, and uh, oh, well, maybe I looked up the wrong magazine then. If I I thought it was time. It's time. It's, it's time for Regal. It's life for Marilyn. Ah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I was going to say it was the wrong day of the week that that wasn't the right day of the week that the magazine came out, but now I'm going to have to go back and check. That this is what Regal Gum is doing is in his societies. He's trying to figure out, and and not just him. That's the other interesting part. Unlike uh, you know the movies that we watched, mm-hmm. uh, where it's well, no, actually, it's just um, in the Truman Show, right? It's only him who's not in on the joke. Right. Yeah. But in here, uh, more than one person is not in on it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, oh, the sister is not really his sister, but she doesn't know that. I mean, I mean, really, only one character, uh, uh, the, the black, the, uh, the blacks, right? Yeah. Mr. Black <laughs> is the only person who really knows what's really going on. He's the only one who's not been brainwashed into this 50s. And, and his boss at the Gazette. Yeah, to him too. 
But Big Bill's the one he has a lot of uh, contact with. Yeah. And he's the, he's the one who's almost like stage managing the whole situation. Mm-hmm. He's the minder that he keeps coming up with excuses to go visit, right? Mm-hmm. Early on, he, he says, oh, i I got to find an excuse to go in and monitor. So he goes and buys some pens. And then says, <laughs> yeah. I'm not allowed to uh, have pens except gifts. So, so, uh, <laughs> you like um, and it's not super, like, I only noticed that the second time through, uh, is that he, he, we are being told right from the start that he is uh, doing some game, right? Yeah. But it's not clear what that game is until farther along. But then I get sort of get the sense that he he doesn't totally know what the reality is either. Yeah, because sometimes he's talking about um, he do, he seems to think other people might know as well, and he doesn't. He's mm-hmm. not like privy to their instructions, or he seems to think you know he's just getting taking orders and doing his job. And then uh, thinking about. Uh, yeah, so there's the lady at the civil defense, right? What's it, Mrs. Klein? What, what, I want to say Klein, but that's not it. Kittlebine or Kittlebine, right? Um, she, I, I, I want to say she's a spy. Yeah, oh, 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 she's totally a lunar spy. She's she's infiltrated. She's infiltrated this little town in order to uh, break Regal out of his. Uh, but does she know that the whole time, or is oh, it? She, oh, I, I think it's clear by the in, in the ending what she's talking about. Oh, she she shows shows them the the model of the fact that she was trying to get him to break free. So yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, so she's definitely she definitely wants Regal on her on her uh, civil defense team. Didn't she even say that she planted the magazines in the phone book? That's right. Yes, she did mm-hmm. that. She did that too in the ruins. Yeah. Yep. So she kind of orchestrated the whole his whole waking up. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, when she goes door to door, um she doesn't I I guess she's acting. Yeah. Um, when she goes to the blacks and says, um would you like to join the civil defense? She doesn't push it very hard. That really tripped me up too. She, she may not know who is Regal's minder. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean she, That's she, true. she I mean she knows that most of the people in the town are clearly been brainwashed to, to act around Regal, but she doesn't know who's actually a, a keeper. Now, now I'm thinking of the prisoner, who's a, who's a warder and who's a prisoner. Mm. So she's got, she's got to keep up this uh, facade because she's got to, she doesn't know who actually really knows what's going on or not. So she, that's, what, that's what Black says when he goes to that grocery store and he buys, or the, the store, and he, he buys the pens and and he walks out just carrying the pens, and the, the clerk's like, hey, you've got to pay for those. And he says, oh, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he pays the money and says, you know, oh, we've got to put up appearances or keep up appearances yeah. just to himself. Um, it seems like that it, we, we do eventually find out that um, that uh, Regal, the, it's Mrs. Black, I guess, is actually not married to Mr. Black. And that Regal's sister is not his si- sister. Regal's sister is Mr. Black's real wife. As right, yeah. right. It's all <laughs> it's like bizarre. sort of screwed up. Um, and in reading more Philip K. Dick uh, short stories, it becomes incredibly clear to me that um, uh, <laughs> that Philip K. Dick was extremely interested in cheating on your on wives. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I mean, I guess it was glaringly obvious, but I'm not 
I'm not very good at glaringly obvious. I, I need to sort of have it spelled out for me. But I'm just thinking like every story pretty much has a guy who's yeah, he's worried about his wife it. cheating on him. Yeah, well, actually, totally. yes, yeah, well, marital infidelity. That's a very, I think that's also a very 50s sort of uh, yeah. concern, too. I mean, the breakdown of the traditional nuclear family. Mm-hmm. And and um, the other thing is, is extremely right away. I was like, oh, my God, this is totally what this book is about, at least at the beginning, is it's about being a writer, you know, he's home all day, mm-hmm. he mails things off, um, things come back, and if he gets things right, he gets paid. Yeah, I thought I thought that too, Annie, and he worries about, oh, I, I don't have a real job, I don't have real skills, I just sit in my mm-hmm. home all day, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're channeling yourself here, Phil. Totally. Yeah, and people aren't respecting his job, you know, they're oh, like, yeah. oh, it's like, a, it's like a hobby for a child, right. <laughs> writing your little stories. And uh, speaking of the child, I, I think the child's an interesting, the nephew, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the one with the Sammy? radio. Yeah. He he uh, he doesn't know he's living in a false reality, does he? No. No. Um, his uh, he he's been I guess programmed in there like everybody else. But what's interesting is whenever um, whenever somebody says something in the house. He has his own alternate reality that he's he's got going. He, he in his clubhouse he's got he talks about how he's got a ray gun pointed at the Soviet Union, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a nuclear ray gun or whatever it is. Um, and the the kid, the parents they just you know that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for for kids uh, having that alternate reality is completely normal. Uh, but for the adults. That's where your, you know, mental illness yeah. comes in. in. In some ways, this, this book is a lot more creepier than, say, the Truman Show, and and actually, yeah. actually, actually approaches the Thirteen Four, the other movie we should talk about. In fact, that not mm. only Regal is stuck on this, but most of the town is stuck on this too. And they're, I mean, they're, I mean, even if they volunteer, and I get the sense that some of them may have done it voluntarily, it's still to. To be programmed to think that reality is completely different from what you know and be stuck there, that's like that's, that's a horror trope. It's like you're voluntarily committing yourself to this prison. I mean, it's for the greater good because Regal is keeping the Earth alive by predicting when the nuclear bombs are going to fall. But still, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's like the thirteenth floor where you have the people programmed in their reality and they don't know and. And but when they do, they react rather violently. I I I watched that yesterday, and I watched Truman Show. I guess uh, the day before yesterday, um, and it it still strikes me that the you know the Thirteenth Floor, um, when it it came out the same year as the Matrix. Yep. Um, a little bit before the Matrix, and mm-hmm. any any energy that was going to you know enthusiasm for building it up into like, hey, got a great, see this great science fiction movie, completely blown away by The Matrix. Is that what right? happened to it? Because I remember it's loving exactly, it and it yeah. just vanished. Yeah. <laughs> it is It is much more um, subtle and intellectual and it, it, uh, I mean... Until, it, until the ending where it gets a little melodramatic, but yeah, but otherwise I, it's very, very, it built it very slowly, yeah. And I couldn't, even uh-huh. ma- I couldn't even remember who starred in it, so I, I was like, Craig Burko, right. He He's kind of like He's kind of like the leading man 
from an alternate universe. Because every time, if you look at his movie career, it's like terrible. Anything he's in, it just completely tanks. Wait, which guy is that? <laughs> That's the main actor in, oh, in okay. 13th Floor. In 13th Floor. And it's not that he's terrible. It's just that um, what he's like... Um, he just tanks whatever's in he's in um but there's some there's something wrong with the movie um everything's a little off and i, I want to say that that's because everything's supposed to be a little off like they say you know in in the 1930s the color palette's off mm-hmm. <laughs> which i thought was a cute little thing um and then in 1999 um it it feels very uh sort of 1999ish you know with the laser beams and stuff mm-hmm. and i was looking at the all the computer monitors most of them are the big crts but they've got a few um they've got a few flat screens and and they also had a macbook <laughs> how did they <laughs> yeah, yeah i missed that like, yeah very uh well he sets the gun down right by the macbook and um, but then when they go to the future, uh, which is actually the present for the whole movie, right? Is the 2024. Yeah. Um, that color palette's off too. And it's a very over bright and yeah. like overwashed in some ways. Mm. Yeah. And, um, that the fact that the color palettes are off on all three of them, um, is not exactly what I mean by it being off. It feels like, you know, Every time they, because I think the plot is incredibly well put together with the the layers and the, you know, the not knowing the information, not knowing which information applies where, and all that is really terrific. But it, the casting seems slightly, you know, Armin Mueller Stahl is, you know, he's kind of like a, a second tier, uh, you know, heavyweight German actor or something. I don't know. It's it. it I can see why it didn't like smash box offices like uh, the Matrix. Yeah, that's a, but mm-hmm. it's much more coherent than the Matrix, which I I liked. Sorry. Yeah, I mean the the, the female lead Gretchen Mould never went anywhere as an actor. I mean it's got some small roles. It's got it's got Vincent D'Onofrio in it. It's got Dennis Habers Haysbert in it. But otherwise, yeah, it just does not. It doesn't. It it, it it's like it came from an alternate world where exactly. where these actors were all big <laughs> are huge yeah yeah and and vincent d'onofrio i mean the, i think it's like whoever's directing it they gave him a little too much dancing you know there's a little too much enjoyment uh in the there was there's was something off about the whole movie but its ideas are really terrific yeah oh i enjoy it a lot i own i own that on dvd the truman show on dvd um it's not quite, quite the same. But um, have, have either of you seen the movie Existence? Yeah, yeah. I love that yeah. one too. Yeah, yeah that, that movie that came was... out the same year and also sank without a stone. And oh, is that the same year as well? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the yeah. Existence, Thirteenth Floor. A good Matrix. year for uh, alternate realities yeah. or uh, or a bad year. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, The Matrix is the only one that came out of that anyone really remembers. But I own all three. But yeah, it's like. Which one is reality? Which one isn't? And at the end of the existence, I'm going to spoil it for the listeners. Sorry, but <laughs> they don't even know if they're still in the game at the end. Which just is like, I I watch that. They're like, whoa. It's like <laughs> they don't even know they're out of it yet. Out, yeah. Out well, um, that's that's how it ends in. Uh, yeah. Well, it's kind of it ends that way in in the thirteenth floor as well. Yeah. Is you know, it ends with the TV turning off, right? 
Like the simulation's been shut down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, I didn't really catch point. it. Um, have either you read Ken McLeod's The Restoration Game? No. no. Oh, you should. You should. I damn. I, sh- I, I should. Do, I should do more. More. More uh, priming of the pump for you guys when I do these things. Um, it's a novel came out a couple years ago. It's it works. It, it, it plays with these ideas a lot. It's about a uh, about a hacker who creates a virtual reality to try to influence politics in it in a port of the former Soviet Union. But she finds out spoilers, guys, that her reality itself is simulated. Hmm. And that's being manipulated. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I thought that, I thought I thought of these movies and these books too when I read that a couple years back. One of, one of the interesting uh, things I was thinking about, you know, seeing all these different versions, and it really came to the fore uh, when I was uh, reading the Tunnel Under the World, which is the Frederick Pohl uh, short story from 1955 right. that I sent you guys. Um, that one. It, it struck me like, well, actually, that is the explanation that's, you know, totally realistically legitimate. And what I mean is, like, what, what's the purpose of this world? Oh, it's to run advertising experiments so that they can, you know, pitch their advertising in a better, more effective and cheaper way. And that totally makes sense. As to, like, if if you think about what's going on in the 13th floor... All we know is that their company makes simulated worlds. We don't know why they're making it, right? He's a genius. He's the Einstein of our time, but we don't know actually why it's being made. Um, it's just what they're doing. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, I wonder why. Okay. So they made this 1930s. Maybe that's just the, the simulation, right? It's just to test it out and make sure that it works. That's fine. But once we find out that their whole world is a simulation, what is the purpose of that simulation? It just it, when we when we skip ahead to 2024, and they say, by the way, there's thousands of such worlds, but this is the only one with a simulation within a simulation. Yeah. Um, they don't explain what they're for. And mm. I always it, got the impression it was just like next level entertainment kind of stuff. I I think that uh, that is the only impression that we can get because yeah. they're sitting out at home, right, uh, doing that, and. That is, um, I mean, entirely plausible. It's like you had a rough day at work. Now you can go out and be a serial killer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with no consequences. Right. right. It, it opens up more questions. Is, it, is, is that simulation that they're in something just endemic to that home? Is it something like a, like a, like a, like a multi multiplayer thing that goes across various people, various homes and and the world? Can other people plug into? The nineteen ninety nine. Why don't they world? just turn it off and reboot? Right? If if uh, see, they have to go down there and turn <laughs> off the simulation manually. <laughs> Which kind of implies that it's not something that they have just sitting on their home computer. Yeah. It, it sounds like it's something that it, it doesn't look like they're work. If they're wor- maybe it is the future because they're working from home, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when they when the husband and wife go down. Uh, they, they're both working from home. That is the future, right? <laughs> there we go. The there future. we go. I'm like wrinkled gum. Like yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, what, what did you guys think of that short story? The the tunnel. I guess it's a novelette, actually. The tunnel under the world. 
the the whole the whole uh, tying in with advertising kind of remind me of uh, the space merchants in some ways. Oh, totally, yeah. I was just thinking, okay, Metropolis was more more interested in advertising and advertising companies than I'd ever imagined. Cause well, I think he was. Um, I think he worked in on uh, what what's that street in New York? That, what's whatever it's called. He worked in the advertising business. Madison Avenue. Uh, Madison Avenue. I believe he he was a uh, Madison Avenue guy. <laughs> that explains so that's, yeah. much. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it totally. He is enamored with with that theme, but it it also. I mean, I think it's a really legitimate explanation. Yeah, it's really plausible uh, for why you would want want to simulate a world. Now, in that, it's all robots, which I think is kind of you know, we would totally do it with computers now. There's no reason to have all these mechanical beings in the actual physical world. I was I was um not sure for the longest time in uh time out of joint whether the world was real or not, as in physical. I No I, I'm, I'm still not sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not, I, I think Dick changes his mind a couple times throughout the novel. Oh yeah. Because because we start off with the slips of paper appearing. I love that. And, and it's almost suggests that parts of reality aren't real. And then we have the scene with uh, with what's his name, uh, Riggle's friend on the bus, and he can kind of see that the bus isn't quite really there. Mm-hmm. And it's just really yeah. just him, him and the driver, and everything else is kind of like an animated skeleton. And then you have the weird, uh, and then you have the weird situation at, at the at the at the uh, bus station where people just standing there endlessly. Yeah, I I think that sequence where it, it it seems endless too, where he okay now he's gonna go out with the with the uh, with the soldier who can't drive to get the tire to get you know it's yeah. like endless uh, endless problems that feels like uh, because it never it's sort of a continuous thing with no break um, you feel like there is progress being made but actually. It's always you know uh, one step forward and three steps back sort yeah. of. And yeah. he mentions uh, as well that like the where he goes into the bus station and I think the is it the diner? There's way too many people inside. And no then, cars. And no yeah, cars. No, yeah, it's like yeah. deserted areas with no cars. But and he can't. He has to get that malt for that that uh, guy he's borrowing the truck from. So no matter what happens, he's not getting out of the town, right? So this stuff all pointed to like some kind of simulation or. Totally does it, is, but is it a physical simulation, or uh, like Parts if, of it. is he on a treadmill with like with uh, with like a sort of a hypno, hyp, hypnosis that makes him think that he's in a uh, room, no. or are they all on treadmills, or no. are they you know in drawers with uh, things hooked up to the head? No, no, no. He it's 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 physical to some extent because because what Mrs. Kettlebaum talks about. Where they built this fake town, and and and, yeah. notice, and, and notice notice again, uh, Jesse, it's in Wyoming, which yeah, yeah, I know because they talk about it's near the town of Kemmer, and I was like, where's Kemmer? Like, oh, Wyoming, oh, that makes sense. Bill mm-hmm. loves to set stuff there, and they talk about well, the ruins because the ruins are from another town near Kemmer, so it's actually a physical place that this is all taking place in. Yeah, the first half seems to point to everything being completely fake. The second half. The, all the explanations come in where they built the town. They, mm-hmm. it's all part of a plan, but it doesn't really explain the stuff in the first half, like how things were disappearing and. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. So no. Then, then I was wondering, like, is the second half also part of Regal's 
psychosis. Like maybe the whole thing is. Yeah, he is technically insane, right? Yeah. In, in when he's when everything's normal, he's in insane, uh-huh. according to Mister Black. And then uh, he becomes as he becomes sane, things start falling apart. Yeah, or is he getting more insane? That's what I was wondering. I was like, maybe he's not waking up. Maybe he's going deeper into something. It's it's. Have have two of you seen Brazil? Mm-hmm. No, I haven't watched that yet. Oh, oh, oh crap! Oh crap! No, it's, it's an experience. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the last sequence, Jesse. Okay. The last Remind sequence of the of the, of, the of the real movie, not the not the truncated fake one, where he's strapped mm. in the chair and then right. suddenly has the breakout and escape sequence, but it's all in his head. We go for like 20 minutes of him escaping with his girlfriend out into the countryside, but it's all mm. it's all just fake. I'm also right. thinking of a very, very much more horrible movie, which I don't recommend to viewers, called Sucker Punch, mm. which mm-hmm. which has which has a number of levels of reality of this woman winds up in a mental institution and there's she see there's the mental institution there's her there's her view of the mental institution as like a theater theater weird thing and then there's the the imaginary world that she keeps delving into while she quote dances but. By the time we get to the end of the movie, it's clear it's really just a standard mental institution that she's been acting out in. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I but it, I mean the movie has major problems, and I can't recommend it to the viewers. But again, that whole which which reality is real? Because even at the end of the end of uh, Sucker Punch, there's a character that shows up at the very very end, which kind of suggests that some of the illusionary fantasy stuff, man, I meant so illusionary fantasy after all. It, it just doesn't. It's, it doesn't quite hold, though. That's what I couldn't find in time out of joint. I couldn't find any clues at the end that, apart from the fact that things don't really fit together that well, I couldn't find any clues that that might be more of a psychosis or. There's no like. No, there's no satisfaction. No, it's just, <laughs> it's not. not a satisfactory <laughs> book like uh, a lot of the. You know, if if you read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, there's. There's still lots of questions, yeah. um, but when you finish it, you feel, oh my god, I'm some sort of weird satisfaction of a working through of a problem. Here we've got more problems stacked up. Uh, it feels like you know, and the ending <laughs> is a, one yeah. of those dodges where he always, you know, he leaves us questioning. But there's definitely just so many unexplained things. Like what? What did you guys make of the? Um, the guy learning to be a patrolman, <laughs> and he's like, he like he doesn't know whether to wear, he doesn't know how to drive or what the road rules are. He doesn't know whether he should wear sunglasses at night or not. That there, there's a scene. Uh, it's, I think this is why um, you sort of have to have this book along with a bunch of other stuff because there's a scene just like that a couple of times in the German show. With the bus driver, the he gets you know Truman gets on the yeah, bus. There's a whole bunch of fake uh, passengers on there, and then the bus driver's like, "Oh, are we really leaving?" <laughs> <You're right>. He's <laughs> trying to put the vehicle on gear, and it just breaks the thing. And then later on, uh, when they they want to go get him out of the out of the ocean, yeah, he, the guy doesn't. He says, "I'm a bus driver. I don't know how to drive a boat." He also doesn't know how to drive a boat, you know, yeah. and then. One of the producers says, they're actors, sir. <laughs> yeah. So it's the idea that this guy's an actor, they couldn't just brainwash patrolmen to work? In well, you get, I guess one. you can't brainwash the actual techniques of uh, learning to ride a bike and stuff like that. Yeah. It's 
it, it is kind of. I mean, I kept thinking of the Truman Show as as a, as I was re-listening to this, and it's just like the that whole some things hold together. So, some people are clearly acting, others are not, and it just mm-hmm. and and it just sometimes. And, and and the whole things are falling through the cracks. I mean, like like for example, the magazines and and the and the radio. And that's why there's a scene in the Truman Show that completely mirrors this mm. one when when they pick up. Oh, I'm passing over Ray Gum's house. Uh, that's right. right. And of course, yeah. he accidentally gets hears him hears them talking about him on the radio because the radio has gone haywire. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. huh? That, that that's a what? That is the yeah. It's totally. Uh, but the thing is, is I'm not sure that they can't. I think you said, Paul, uh, uh, that it borrows uh, unapologetically or something. Yeah. Something like that. I'm not sure that these things can't develop completely in isolation because if you start, like, if you just start thinking about what would be necessary, um, it sort of requires you. Uh, to think hard and thinking hard often will come up with the thing like, you know, we, we got to get rid of radios, right? Um, the radio station that they have in, in, uh, on the island that Truman lives on, um, you know, they try and recover from that, that and screw up with the radio. But, um, you know what the big takeaway for me with, with the Truman show was is that at the end of the Truman show, we're all happy. Right, because he's everybody's happy. The audience is happy. Truman's happy. The girl who he loves uh, that isn't his wife again, uh, Philip <laughs> Kiddick, um, is happy. Right? She's running. We actually don't see the meeting. Um, but it's implied at the end of the, Yeah, that's but it's implied absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't ever see the outside world, right? Except you know, as the viewers in their bathtubs or whatever it is, <laughs> uh, or in the bar. Or in the, you know, the old lady's home with a pillow with Truman's face on it. Um, <laughs> we never see the outside world, but I was thinking the difference between these two is that Regal doesn't actually have any purpose to get out of his world other than this sort of vague drive to, you know, create peace and emigrate because uh, our future is in the in the stars, <laughs> which is kind of like it's fine, right? But it's it's not like that's why it could never be a Hollywood movie because if you think about how even even the Thirteenth Floor, Hollywood movies are incredibly no matter how much they question, right? In Matrix, what no matter what it is, they are incredibly conservative when it comes to. Uh, what, uh, what reality is about. So they're willing to question it, but not at the end. Because when you walk out of the movie theater, you have to feel sort of a sense of satisfaction. And I was just thinking, imagine the Truman Show mm-hmm. minus the love interest who's in Fiji. And what you find is, oh, all this universe that I thought I had a purpose in and, you know, my community is fake. And then you get really depressed yeah. because there's nothing there, right? The the that beautiful the beautiful sunsets with the moon that's obviously fake. Um, I guess if Truman didn't take any science in his fake yeah. high school, yeah, that would ex- <laughs> you can't have that moon sitting where that sun is. It's astronomically no. impossible. <laughs> yeah. Well, they changed the textbooks so that it wouldn't mention. Uh, I mean. <laughs> Celestial mechanics. There's no tides, right? Whatever, you know, no matter what happens, 
you know, he, he just, his, he, because he has this girlfriend to run away to find, mm-hmm. uh, we're kind of completely distracted from the fact that his, his entire existence is a, is a fake and a lie. And there's no existential crisis. Well, I, I, because I'm, of that, I, I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to argue with you slightly about that. I mean, it's it it could be, could have been done a little better, but it's kind of implied throughout the movie, even without the fake girlfriend, that Truman Truman's soul has been twisted and morphed into this stay-at-home guy in Steve Allen, and he's really much more of a explorer, a looker, and a wannabe because he talks about we see little classroom scene says, I want to be explored like the famous Magellan. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, there's really nothing left to explore. There's a little bit there. You're right. And you can tell about- as well with his wife as well that he's, he's just like, there's like an emptiness in that relationship that he's kind of picking up and feeling. <laughs> She's just trying to shill the product. Yeah. <laughs> well, cocoa drink. <laughs> well, we're trying to have an argument, says there. No, you and she had place it perfectly. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so you're right. There, there is a little something there, but um, I was just, you know, if you if you think about, uh, imagine the, the 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 world is not turned off at the end of the thirteenth floor. Um, we've got the Craig Burko character. Uh, you know, he's he's uploaded himself into his his real body, quote unquote. Um, now he's in the world of the future, uh, where his computer skills are completely, you know, surpassed. What's he do there? I don't. I don't know. He can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, he's. He, I mean, his quote happy ending is to quote escape the simulation. But what does he do that? Yeah. What does he do that? I mean, um, I mean, his, um, it's clear his quote father-in-law, who's also played by Armin Wilson, is apparently some 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 sort of rich guy. They kind of imply, and at the yeah. world, and the world's a good thing. I mean, did you catch the newspaper? The flash of the newspaper headline? Yeah, crime is crime down is to zero percent, and it said uh, the subtitle on that was like, "We're going to close the jail or something." Yeah, it's. It, it, I I had a thought, although the movie wouldn't go there. I thought, well, maybe maybe this even itself is not the top level reality. How would they know? Mm-hmm. Maybe this itself is also a simulation of something else. Mm-hmm. Could it go? I mean, could it be turtles all the way up? I don't. <laughs> well, I, there's something you said a while ago, Paul. Um, that was talking about the theater, and that triggered something to me that I I just remembered. The granddaddy of all these stories is actually uh, slightly implied by the title. Uh, the title is "Time Out of Joint." That's a quote from our uh, uh, paraphrase from Hamlet, right? Huh? Um, now. Shakespeare, our guy Shakespeare, our our favorite writer, he was big into the meta stuff, right? He's the original meta man because how many of his stories, including Hamlet, have players being played by players, right? Plays within plays. Plays within plays, right? Uh, To catch the conscience of the king, right? Etc. Well, that's actually an even better example of this, and it's always left out. I don't think there's ever been an adaptation that... Uh, not of the play, and and not of the um, not in a movie adaptation of if there is an even even is one of um, the Taming of the Shrew. Have you guys read that one? Yeah, yeah. This this. I mean, yeah, that's one. That's something a, at the beginning. It's called the induction. This is the only time it's ever been in any Shakespeare play. I don't think any of the other Shakespeare's plays has this. It's before the first act, and it's to 
uh, get the re- reader into the, or not the reader, <laughs> the viewer into the mood of the play. Uh, that normally the taming of the shrew is just the, the first and the second, third, or whatever acts, right? But the induction is a completely separate scene. And what it is, it's, there's this, uh, homeless beggar, um, he goes into a bar, um, gets drunk, gets kicked out, um, he's found on the street, and a lord comes by, and he s- picks him up, and he says, okay, let's take this guy to my house, and we'll tell him, that he's been sick. He's he's still possibly insane. And that he thinks himself to be a drunken beggar. When in fact he's actually a high lord. And he says to uh, I think one of the servants. Or yeah. <laughs> I, I think it is one of the servants. Um, now I'm going to put you in my wife's dress. And you're going to say. You're his, you're his wife. And that you've been. Uh, with him on the whole time. And he's going to insist that he's just a drunken beggar. And you're going to tell him, no, that's part of your insanity. And, and you're going to treat him. And I was thinking, oh, it's, it's like trading places, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, 1980s movie. Uh-huh. But actually, it's much more like, uh, you know, what we're seeing in, in these. It's, it, except without the, uh, the hypnosis or the, um, <laughs> I don't know, the computer program. It's right. It, it's, it's that, alternate fake world that everybody insists is is real around you how do you know they're not lying this is built right into people mm-hmm. it's not interesting yeah it's 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 like it's like a very weird framing device yeah 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 no, no i'm trying to recall this i'm also looking up that's right he used to uses that play as a framing which he doesn't do anywhere else i mean you have the plays within the plays and yeah, what yeah. it end in midsummer night's dream and whatnot but you not actually as, okay, the plate taming shoe is itself a story that we're telling because of this, what, what these real events happen. That's a, that's a, um, I'm also reminded of, um, have you, have you read Goldell Escarbach? By, uh, D- Douglas Hofstadter? Marissa, how about you? No. no, not me. Um, it's a nonfiction book. It's mainly about mathematics, a 1980 Pulitzer Prize winner, but he talks a lot about levels of reality. There's, in, be, in between the non-fictional chapters, there's these little things about Achilles and the tortoise as main characters. And in one of them, they wind up going into books and into, into books to, and there's, in one of them, he actually winds up exit, the story ends before they actually get out of the regular, lup, out of the level they're in. So it kind of feels imbalances, whole sort of framing devices and levels of reality popping up and popping down and characters moving from, from level to level, which, yeah, it, I, 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 I recommend it because it's an interesting analysis of those three, those three figures and how their, how their works surprisingly interact. And also about, there's a little bit about primitive pro- computer programming and levels of reality and simulations and it, damn, this is a really good conversation. I had, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't connected that with time out of joint until we started getting talking about taming the shrew of all things. Mm-hmm. That sounds really interesting. So, it, it, what, what, what do you think? I'm looking at the Goodreads reviews on this book, and, you know, it's got 3.8 out of 10. I would not, or out of 5, I would not rate it that highly. I think it is one of his worst books. It's, it's, a, it's, oh. a, it's, a, it's an early book. I mean, I the reason why I suggested it is because it's it's very much... Dick in it in a raw and not yes polished form. I mean, this mm-hmm. this, came, this came out not mm-hmm. too long, 
I mean, in, around uh, when um, uh, some of his more earlier novels, like um, yeah, Brain Christ. I had to, I'd have to look. I'd have to look up. Like uh, yeah, there was there was a couple before this. A couple before this. Futurity and um, uh, uh, Eye in the Sky and stuff like that. I think are you know they start I mean, his first novels like fifty five. I think. I mean, he hadn't yet written Man in the High Castle and really no. hit hit his stride, but. And there's stuff in here that's, I mean, there's a lack of stuff in here that he winds up, seems to be obsessed with later on. I mean, there's only one reference to drug use in this whole thing, and that's carbon tetrachloride, which is kind of mild and weird. Mm. Whereas we keep seeing, I mean, we've discussed him talking about drugs and psychotropic mm-hmm. drugs in a whole bunch of dick books, but not really here. It's almost like he hasn't yet quite figured out. Well, he does he's... talk about coffee. Um, that uh, That is one of the standards things that, you know, I picture him sitting at the typewriter, uh, drinking his coffee, and you know there is a lot of talk about coffee. There's that talk. Uh, the, remember the the lasagna, oh, and then yeah. there's the yeah, right, the espresso, the espresso, and then at the at the grocery store, um, they maybe it's even Mr. Black talks. I can't remember. Somebody at the grocery store is saying, "Oh, the price of coffee is going up." <laughs> but I think I don't know if I've got this totally wrong, but I'm sure I've read somewhere that. Didn't he go through a period where he wouldn't touch any drugs? I think maybe yeah. only coffee, and then he just went completely the other way. So well, was this maybe? In, yeah, there was a. It's interesting. He had a, a number of you know existential crises, or uh, you know whatever they're called, where you know he basically went nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and at one point, really interestingly, he 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 was his life was falling apart. You know his marriages and. Uh, it's, uh, uh, this is after his, his safe was blown up or something, but uh. probably not. And one of his theories on that was that he had blown it up himself. Oh, wow. And he broke into his own safe, which I thought was hilarious. But, um, at, at one point he, he took, his life was falling apart and he took a, there was an invitation from VCon, which is the Vancouver Science Fiction Convention, to come be guest of honor. And he took that as an escape, and so he went up and he did, you know, he showed up at the airport and they picked him up and they took him to the thing and then he did the convention. Um, no hotel, you know, booked or anything like that. So uh, as soon as the convention was over, he checked himself into, uh, was it's a non-existent now, but it was existent then, um, heroin treatment program called Excalay mm-hmm. that was in Vancouver. And uh, he was not a heroin addict, which was... So he pretended, he says, to be a heroin addict so that they would let him be in the program. Wow. And Although was he, was he addicted, addicted to, to something? Or was he, he just... Was, he, yeah, he was taking, I think, um, amphetamines. Uh-huh. Uh, which, uh, yeah. Yeah. Not, not, a good, not good for a guy with a mind that's already like a, you know... Uh, Ferrari yeah. going on full blast with not enough oil. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have another weird, I have another theory about this book. Um, and it was something I kind of remembered reading when I read this book years ago in, in the front piece and I just checked it on, checked on Wikipedia. In the 50s, Philip K. Dick wrote a, a fair number of regular contemporary novels. Mm-hmm. So, none of which which sold. No, 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 which was sold. I, I think this is almost like, 
him breaking it, free of it that. It feels like it's a mm-hmm. contemporary novel with just a, a slight layering. Oh, and then an undercutting here and there of right. So I think this is almost like him like bridging out of that, and his brain telling him, "No, you can't write conventional novels. You want to write the weird stuff. You want to sell it. it. You gotta. It's gonna put in the. It's gonna peek through whether you like it or not." Mm. And so, and so, kind of like, kind of like Ray Gugum's reality falling around, falling to pieces around him. That that suburban 1950s reality of Ray Gugum falls apart, and we see something wilder and weirder, weirder underneath. Uh, Ray Gugum. I mean, this name. <laughs> what the hell is going on with his name? I thought, okay, P Q R, right, and then uh, D E F G. I guess it's kind of close to Phil Dick, but actually. Did you guys notice there was a character named Phil in the story? Oh, yeah, no, I didn't notice. Who's that? Um, he was like uh, he was like doped up or something. I can't remember. What he, there was something wrong with him. <laughs> I can't remember, but it was just oh, oh yeah, there he is, and he was just a a weird uh, uh, one liner or two about <laughs> a guy named Phil. Funny. I'll see if I can bring it up. So so yeah, the novel isn't perfect, but I. I have I have a soft spot for it maybe because I like the Truman Show so much and I feel I feel for Regal I mean mm-hmm. and yeah. this is also this is also half a prison of his own making because he because the novel explains he goes crazy and then people built this around him it's not like he got stuck there from birth like Truman or has been been trapped in there I mean it's really a prison of his own making and in the end while people like Mrs. Kettlebaum try to break him free. In the end, he has to break free himself. He has to choose to return to reality. And mm-hmm. that and that escape is, as as, uh, as Jesse said, one step forward, three step back a lot. Mm-hmm. But, if, I, I mean, I had forgotten the whole bit with the with the house. I mean, my, my, my uh, misremembering the book, he had gone from the bus station to getting free completely. And I had... I missed the I missed the whole. Uh, he gets kind of out to the house, and then they drug him and they ship him back, which kind of reminds me of again of the Truman Show, where he gets to the nuclear power station and then they yeah take him out. gets caught and delivered back home. Right. right. What did you make of the of the Kettlemans, not the Kettlebines? Like the similarity between those people yeah, at yeah, the house, that was, I, right. I, them escaping out the house. That that was really surreal and weird. It's like yeah, like they didn't know what to do or deal how to deal with them. And, you know, I, I it to me it felt like it was based on a real incident. Like, um, <laughs> I. I you know, Philip K. Dick was pretty. You know, he'd be. He's really fun to read, but if he was your friend, you would not like always have happy times mm-hmm. because it it feels too real. Like he comes in here, starts. You know, I have to look through your house for the monitoring devices or whatever. Oh <laughs> but, yeah, that whole scene is like you can imagine being the Kesselmans that whole time and just having this absolutely mad person <laughs> ranting in your house. <laughs> like, yeah, but. Wanting to lock we're, you. In the we're cover. totally. Uh, I, I was like, are they are they faking? Yeah, that's what I couldn't are, figure out. And and they've got the radio in the basement, right? Uh, did he did he escape from the the town and he's he's in the next town over what? and that that next town over is like a map, sort of a reverse that, map. Like of how brainwashed. And how brainwashed can they be? Like they cut a hole in the back of their own. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and escaped like. I, I think I don't think they were as brainwashed as the main town itself. I think they were kind of like on the border. It's almost like a 
defense in depth. Like if 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 any mm. people get this far, there's people kind of know what's going on. But oh, that's right because they had that video on their TV as well of like this is Regal Gum like training them to recognize exactly them. <laughs> exactly. So I think I think they were like the first line of defense. If, if Regal manages to get this far, then then things things have really gone to pot. They didn't seem to be that concerned about other people breaking their conditioning. They were always afraid about Regal. Mm. I mean, I mean, Vic. I mean, it's interesting that Regal escapes with Vic, and, mm-hmm. and 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 Vic turns out to be useful. And I think that was kind of a flaw in their plan, not not to consider that Regal might actually get somebody to help him get out. I mean, I mean, I, and this novel is slightly more interesting for the fact that Regal's not the only person, as you said, the only person who's who's questioning wow. reality. Vic is clearly questioning reality. I mean, the whole big business with the light cord, which I thought mm. was interesting. And they, the bus. And the bus, right, and the bus. So, um, here's um, here's I found the lines. There's a reason I couldn't remember it. It's because he really doesn't have any lines except for one. Here it goes. Uh, I have to get back to my base, he said. Phil and I have to be in by eight o'clock, or we're AWOL. He was the drunk soldier, right? Oh, <laughs> that's, right. Yeah, was, that's right. And then the next line is, um, uh, it says, the young soldier said, Phil's the driver. I can't drive. And he has, he hasn't sobered up. And then, um, <laughs> to him, the soldier said, Hey, Phil, this guy's going to drive. Give me the keys. And then Phil says, Is that you, Wade? <laughs> yeah. From his coma. Author <laughs> <laughs> insert. And, yeah. Um, and he says, uh, listen, he said to Phil, you stay here. We're going to go for a walk uh, to the ear and get it running. That can't be right. Uh, we'll drive by and pick you up, okay? Phil nodded. End of Phil. <laughs> right? <laughs> See, and then Phil's just the, wandering around in the dark exactly. by himself. <laughs> the drunk guy. Or <laughs> Phil. Um, by the way, the um, the little... I, I, I pictured them as... Sticky, sticky, I don't think they were around back then, but, the, you know, uh, sticky tabs, or what are they called, the 3M product that you write a note on and it's uh, got a gummy. Post-it, note. post-it, post-it notes. I, I, I thought they were post-it notes for some reason. I guess they're not post-it notes, but um, in his coat, hanging up on the hall closet, was the metal box with the six words in it. Soft drink stand, door, factory building, highway. Drinking fountain, bowl of flowers. <laughs> highway's the most interesting one out of that. Just <laughs> yeah. I mean, put a highway there. It's like I, mean, yeah. you, it's, I, I picture them like they they've got them like in a little glass room, and, and they just stick these stick these things. Okay, now you know, he's in his house, so yeah. you stick them around on the on the. You don't even need furniture. You just say door, and then you take away the door, and then God, it's so it's strange. a factory building. Yeah, I, mean, I really I mean, have no idea how it fits together. Oh. I, I think he was thinking, okay, everything in reality is manufactured because we have that, and, and we came coming back to that bus scene, but then, mm-hmm. but then it becomes much more mundane. It's like, okay, people are hypnotized and brainwashed. I think it's kind of like a mixture. There are I mean, they're using virtual reality and his own psychosis and and 
manufactured stuff to kind of it's clear it seems clear to me that this is kind of like a patchwork thing that they're trying to do this because they're desperate to not get bombed into oblivion by the by the by the uh, how does his skill work anyway <laughs> he's predicting he's, 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 predict- he's just so intuitive that he figures out that he knows where where they're going to launch the bomb so they can be intercepted yeah. he doesn't always get it right they they make that clear but he's apparently he apparently can. He's got pattern recognition skills to know, because because they go through that whole sequence about how mm-hmm. he does he know how to do the contest, and and because they go through the whole clues thing, and Regal questions whether the clues are any any good, and they don't seem to be. They just seem to be nonsense, and I think they're just there for part of the um, part of the um, um, just the basic. Uh, just well, he's picking. It's like white noise, and he's picking right. out that. Well, the, and this is like. Uh, pattern seeking is such a huge thing and like uh, paranoid people mm-hmm. with paranoid psychoses they see patterns in everything so he's right that's oh. why I'm wondering if oh. there we go again Um, I'm sorry Marcel I'll let you finish your thought then I'll jump in go ahead no go ahead okay I'm thinking of another less well known Jim Carrey movie the number 23 have I oh, have seen it oh right yeah no yeah I've seen it that's, uh, that's exact yeah it's, it's like uh this number stalking him, right? Right. It's got a really good ending, and I can't remember it for some reason. Oh, I've never heard of it. Uh, it it's basically he it's plays, a much it's much more nice and depressing it, than the true. Yeah, it, it it is de- definitely depressing. It's a dog catcher who winds up getting this book from his wife about about this character named Fingerling. And okay, here we are spoiling the number twenty three. <laughs> I, I feel I feel like I feel like I'm ruining our listeners today. It it, it turns out that. The book was actually written by him, by him, but he doesn't remember it because he had a psychotic breakdown and around the, around pattern number pattern seeking around the number twenty three, mm-hmm. and he he actually didn't wind up going to jail. Someone else went to jail for his crime, but he had a psychotic break that he doesn't remember most of that early life. But as he read reads the book, which is a fictionalized version of those events, he starts kind of remembering and worse. The number twenty-three. This whole pattern thing starts obsessing his mind. It's really creepy and weird. That mm-hmm. like, but he keeps seeing twenty-three. No, it's not a comedy at all. Oh God, no! I mean, I mean, I mean, the cable. I mean, I mean, I could see why it flops so badly. I mean, the cable guy was kind of a dark comedy, but this is just straight serious, depressing drama about a number that takes over this guy's life. It has oh, before like and movie? does again. Mm-hmm. Well then, put it on, put it on, put it on your list. I mean, it's got. I've got it on my list already. <laughs> it's got Virginia. It's got Virginia Madsen as uh, Jim Carrey's wife, and there's there's the. Uh, I mean, when, when we see points of view from the book, I mean the character. It's most most of the same actors, but kind of transform themselves. Virginia Madsen wears this really weird dark hair in, as the character in the, in the in reading of the book. It's, and and the number twenty three is at the heart of it all. It's kind of. Creepy and strange and weird. I remember after the first time after reading this, after seeing this movie, I was trying to say, okay, does my name come up to number twenty three? It doesn't. I guess thankfully, this kind of maybe it's a Jim Carrey thing. Isn't Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind, kind of dealing with the same? Isn't yeah. that like a dream within a? Yeah, fr- fractioning of reality. He's, he's his 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 memories are being torn out by that device, and so he's kind of remembering them but it's kind of oh, mixing yeah. it with what reality is yes that's another great one great that's a that's a great example marissa 
Apparently, Jim Carrey has a thing for this sort of thing. I feel yeah, I didn't know that. He's a pretty <laughs> guy. Um, there is a couple of uh, other Philokitic short stories that are not completely unrelated. I was thinking a little bit about Adjustment uh, Team, which has turned into Adjustment Bureau, um, which has got, uh, you know, the the, the it's... They're almost made out to be angels in the movie. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, the, the movie makes them makes them very seem very much. It gives yeah. it a very much more spiritual dimension than the. Yeah, know. and it's a little more uh, well, it's more sinister in in adjustment uh, team. One of the one of the things that uh, is funny in adjustment team that they did they changed in the movie is. Uh, <laughs> The whole thing goes wrong at the beginning because a dog falls asleep in the story. <laughs> and then an agent comes by and says, make sure you don't fall asleep, dog. And the dog's like, don't worry, I won't fall asleep. We've got a talking dog who's an agent to keep track of reality. Because yeah. <laughs> wow. not have to make some fixes or whatever. And then the dog falls asleep. Well, the exact same thing happens in the movie, except they don't make it a dog. They turn it into just a black guy. That's right. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. And because they can't have it be a dog because then it'd be a, I guess, a fantasy or whatever. Who knows? It'd be more fantastic to have dogs right. as agents. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious as it is. I'd have to rewatch um, that movie. I, 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 I'm yeah. sorry. I was really thrilled with it, but it's got Emily Blunt and... I like Emily Blunt, especially after uh, it's not, Tomorrow. It's not. It's probably the least good of all of them. Oh. There is another one, though. Oh. Uh, Imposter was also turned into a movie, and that's actually really terrible because it has this massive chase sequence in the middle. <laughs> it's like an hour-long chase sequence. It was supposed to be a short film, part of a triptych of science fiction movies. You remember how they used to do these, like, three, like the Twilight Zone movie, three movies in one? You know, three stories in one. Um, well, they never finished the other two. Um, so what they did was, okay, we can expand this out. And they just went, hired this, you know, one of the actors who appeared in it, uh, a couple of the actors, and they put a giant chase sequence, like an hour-long chase sequence, in the middle of the movie. Um, but if you have the DVD of the uh, imposter, they have the short film on there, um, which is like, I don't know, 25 minutes or half an hour or something like that. Um, not that the movie's the most important part, but the original short story is quite interesting. The uh, It's called Imposter, and the the premise is that there's a scientist. He's he's very important. He's working on missile defense uh, or some sort of technology to prevent the uh, lunar, it might be the lunar colonists from destroying the Earth, right? They're in a oh, war. Yeah. Yes, very familiar. Yeah. And um, the main character is um, uh, living his life with his wife. And then um, uh, there's a mention of a fire, a forest fire uh, nearby. I guess they're up in the mountains somewhere. And, <laughs> and then um, things start going strange. They start hunting him. And he's like, what's going on? What's going on? Right. Uh, well, it turns out that he's, he's a replacement. He's, he's a scientist. Uh, but he's been replaced by a robot that has a nuclear bomb in its chest that thinks it's a scientist and that he's married to his wife. Oh my. Wow. And, and we don't find this out, you know, until the end. It's quite a good short story. Um, so there's that, but even, Along the same thing is why him, right? Is 
it goes all the way back to another short story, which was also turned into a movie, uh, Total Recall. Oh, now, right. We can remember it for you wholesale. We can remember it for you wholesale. Now, what's cool about we can remember for it wholesale, we can remember it for you wholesale, is that it's got, you know, all implanted memories through a corporation. They do that all in the original movie. Don't watch this terrible, god-awful. Oh, God, the sequel? Garbage oh. destroying thing is the second <laughs> remake but the the original movie is pretty terrific but one of the things that they mostly leave out is the machinations behind everything why is this guy so important that they're hunting him down in the movie they say oh he was a secret agent right um there is a little mention of that in this short story but actually one of the the maybe false endings or maybe real endings of that is that a long time ago, aliens came down to the earth and we're going to destroy it. But they had a, a little problem in the little boy main character when he was a little boy, he saved the aliens and now they're going to not destroy the earth as long as he's living on it. <laughs> and the whole point is um, they can't kill him because as soon as they do, the aliens will come and destroy the earth. Now, is that an implanted memory, too? Hmm, it doesn't seem to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the story makes makes you makes you wonder just which one of these uh, actual cover stories is the real one. Is that is that itself the real story or not? Exactly. I, I remember There's, reading that there, the first time, and I wasn't uh, thrilled with it. I read it again. Yeah, no, it's a real letdown compared to, like, the movie. Yeah. The movie's much more, you know, dynamic. We spend more time. It's quite a short story. We we spend most of the time in that he's sitting on a park bench, just talking to himself like a homeless man, right? Yeah. You know, with dementia. No, no. With uh, some sort of schizophrenic uh, conversation going on, um, and we're meant to think that. But yeah, it's not an action movie. It's it doesn't have uh, the uh, all the spy stuff. I mean, I think the original Total Recall is uh, pretty damn terrific. But um, the important part about that is is that it's a focusing a why. Why is this guy, why is this whole world being built up around him? In the Truman Show, it's because they're making a TV show. right? They, it's going to be a reality TV show, uh, entire guy's life from birth to death. You know, I kind of want to watch that, right? Well, it's clear it's as the most popular. It's an interesting guy. It's clear it's the most popular show on the planet because they do so. I mean, they talk about 1.2 billion were there watching mm-hmm. the first steps and apparently, and I mean, and those scenes of all the all the people watching it. It's a massive phenomenon. I couldn't mm-hmm. quite see why you just watch that and nothing else. I mean, but apparently, there people just watch nothing but the Truman Show. It's like, okay, he's interesting, and I also they've also twisted his life and twisted his psychology something fierce. Mm. I mean. I mean, okay, consider now. Now we're going deep into the crew show. Consider that scene in uh, where uh, where his boss tells him, "Oh, you have to go to Harvard uh, Island to clear, to, uh, to uh, close a case because there are going to be cutbacks mm-hmm. at the end of the month." He knows that Truman's afraid of water. He knows that Truman's been programmed to hate and fear yeah. the sea. So <laughs> it's kind of like, and 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 this is all scripted. So. Yeah, and the, the the fake pressure that you're going to lose your job. Like, yeah, that's going to happen. Right, right. So they're basically putting, I mean, for all the showing Truman's life, 
that that scene there showing they're torturing Truman because they're going to make him try to yeah, go on. Yeah, that's the producers saying, ah, this week's twist is he's going to be forced to face his fear of water. Yeah, and 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 and, and you were missing earlier, Mercer, about the ferry. Even if he had gotten onto the ferry, which he doesn't, they wouldn't have been able to get to the boat get Auburn anyway because they don't know how to run it. So mm-hmm. even yeah. if he had managed to get on the boat by by some force of will at that point in the movie. The boat would have broken down in the middle for nothing anyway, which would have been, I guess, I guess it would have been the other way for them to have ended the scene rather than him just being being on pain on that dock. And you could see he's like, I can't stand this. This is horrible. It- the, the 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 thread I wanted to point to though, um, not to go back deep on the trivia. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> the thread is is like. Why, right? Why? Why would this would this world be constructed around a person? So, going back to Shakespeare in the induction of uh, the Taming of the Shrew, mm-hmm. it's because of the whim of this lord. He thinks it would be a funny joke, right? In uh, the Truman Show, it's to make a TV show. In uh, Time Out of Joint, it's because he is essential. He's got an essential skill, and this is the only way for him to do it not feel like immense pressure because it's only a newspaper contest. The only pressure is will he get his paycheck, right? Um, for uh, the the 13th floor, it's not clear why they're creating it. Um, and for the tunnel under the world, it's for advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, this all goes back even farther to uh, Rene Descartes, who I think is quoted at the very beginning of 13th floor, I think 13th floor. Um, you know, I think therefore I am it, it, that whole, uh, I think therefore I, that I am, I think therefore I am thing came out of his worry of, you know, how do we know what's real? His, his story is, uh, imagine an evil demon was, uh, out to trick us. And because we do know we can make perceptual errors, how can we know what's real and what isn't? Um, and he has this elaborate argument that is, it's essentially terrible because it, it it has some flaws in it. But he basically says um, that I don't know that nothing's real, but I know that I'm real because I'm thinking thoughts. And his explanation there is it's an evil demon, right? <laughs> the demon wants to trick you in this world. Uh, but notice all of these sort of require an explanation, but we don't, if, if we're, if we are, uh, post, uh, religious people, we don't require one of the actual universe. Yeah. Right. All of these questions, you know, why, 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 why we don't actually, you know, there is no purpose. Right. It's not like it was you're here to fulfill God's destiny or whatever. There's nothing like that for, now, for us. Now, so our our purpose is just read Philip K. Dick books and yes. drink coffee, uh, watch old movies. Watch old movies. Now I was thinking of the Minbari in Babylon 5 and they think the purpose of life in the universe is we're pieces of the universe and we're, we're the universe's way of trying to understand itself. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. But notice that once they, once they all get to get all those pieces get together, you're saying, yeah, well, yeah, I guess there was no purpose. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all 
Uh, J. Michael Straczynski uh, is putting nice poly- poetic polish on the same question, but carefully avoiding <laughs> answering it. Yeah. <laughs> Just to bring it all back together. Um, uh, by the way, one other actual philosopher mentioned in uh, this book uh, is um, Barclay. You guys remember the mention of Barclay? No. Uh, it might have been pronounced Berkeley in Berkeley, the. Berkeley, uh, yes. Okay, so it's pronounced Barclay. I guess the narrator got it wrong. Um, it's spelled Berkeley. Um, he was a reverend. And he was not a big fan of uh, getting rid of God. He was <laughs> being a uh, uh, he wasn't a bishop. Oh yeah, he was a bishop. Yeah, That's bishop what he Berkeley. was. <clears throat> right, Bishop Barclay was not a big fan of getting rid of God, and he thought a lot of the philosophers were doing that. You know, trying to and scientists were trying to scoop things away. So he had a really clever argument. He says we can be mistaken about perceptions. Um, you know, you, there's an object before you. Oh, it's actually just a painting, right? Or oh, it's actually it's not a toaster. It's a it's a post-it with a the word toaster on it, right? <laughs> but but how, so the question then is is how do we know things exist when they're not being perceived? Um, and this is actually going back to Descartes as well, right? It, who Barclay is dealing with, and it says, well, we know things are being perceived uh, because they they don't need to be perceived to exist, is the sort of rationalistic explanation that everybody sort of accepts, right? We know that there, if there's a rock on the dark side of the moon, we don't actually have to see it to know or touch it to know that it's there. Well, maybe not to know that there, but it doesn't. Its its existence is not dependent on us perceiving it. Is the idea, and we we accept this because things come into our our perceptions all the time that we have not perceived before, or that were not perceived by other people before. Right? You're walking through a field and you see a rock. Um, maybe that rock was just uncovered by some water flowing right that rock's never been perceived by anybody before didn't that rock exist before yeah of course it did well barclay he he has a really novel explanation he says that oh don't worry guys everything's cool because god perceives everything so the fact that uh there's a part of uh trumanville or whatever the name of that Island is. Uh, Truman's never been in, you know, into a shop before. Um, <laughs> remember when he goes into the bank and the he goes to the bank of elevators and he slightly misses it, says something, and then he goes to the other one and there's like a uh, a bunch of actors yeah. waiting to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they quickly shuffle him aside, right? Um, that perception is, you know, they're building up the world as it goes, right? That that there's something cool about when Philip K. Dick, you know, he doesn't have a a great answer in this book, but he's thinking hard. Yeah, because Regal's and we're thinking with him. Yeah, Regal's kind of battling with this now and then, isn't he? When he's like thinking about, mm-hmm. he's thinking he's saying something like word is reality, and and whether the is it the deed or the word comes first, or the object mm-hmm. or the word. I think that's when he finds the little pieces of paper. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the ding ah, the ding ah, such I believe is the phrase. Oh yeah, the, that's right. From Nietzsche, yeah, the thing, the the word, the, the thing in itself, the thing itself, the word is the word came first, and uh-huh. that's going back to his interest in in religion as well, right? Um, that's how God creates the world, is with the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's quoted in there somewhere as well, isn't it? Uh, yeah, like I, I think this is not a great Philokaitic book, but certainly good read. It definitely, it definitely draws you in. I just, I just wish it would make some kind of sense at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it definitely you keeps still working you, things out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just so, so the random stuff you see there. I mean, if 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 we had seen Tibor McMaster's going by the the town, I wouldn't <laughs> have been surprised. And they're they're like, in the same, they're in the same terrain, so yeah, yeah. I liked um, Frederick Pohl has a quote about it, which is really fitting for Philip K. Dick. He says, this book doesn't end, it disintegrates. It's like, yeah. <laughs> like, That's where's that of, from? Where did you find that quote? Yeah, well, yeah where, where's that? Um, I can't remember where that came up. I'll have to, have a, I'll have to go back right through my bookmarks. That's a great. That's a great quote, and that kind of describes it. I mean, the, the novel yeah. kind of just falls to pieces, kind of like yeah. it, it, become, it becomes... It becomes we we go into the novel, comes out in the end, turns out to be a slip of paper that says time out. Yeah, John. exactly. <laughs> because that's another thing, actually, because when Regal is battling with the stuff about the word and the objects, did you understand why the um, the sentences changed and we're like, we're missing words? And Did you notice that? that they're no. not like, no. they're not complete sentences anymore. He just kind of starts talking in this, what does he say? Um, it's like his world is collapsing around him or something. Yeah, there's just little words missing in the sentences there. Like he he leaves out the articles and just starts talking about word is is reality or no. Hmm. Did you did you read it. or listen to this, Marissa? Um, I read it. I started oh, listening. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, I couldn't it, get into it, the this audio. might this might be one that it's better on paper. Yeah, um, I had to switch. especially you know Barclay. Uh, you know, I thought the narrator was fine. Um, he, he was good at w- women and he's good at men and he put, uh, you know, made the kid good and stuff. So I thought it was pretty, Jeff Cummings, I think is the narrator. Mm-hmm. I thought he was pretty good, but, um, the, <laughs> this is a book that either requires a lot more close study or maybe none at all. Yeah. It could be both at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of those ones you feel like if you read it just one more time, you'll you'll figure it out. I don't yeah. know if it's there to be figured out. I'm not. I don't know. That's, that's a very philokathic phenomenon. Well, I'll get it this time. I really <laughs> understand if I read it this time what he meant. But it's all just slips uh, of paper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, what two hundred and twenty-one slips of paper. <laughs> I think that you might are. be what it is. <laughs> I, actually, it'd be half that because those are. Those are the pages, not the leaves. So it's a hundred and uh, oh wait, now you can't divide two hundred twenty-one in half. No, exactly. that's one hundred and ten point five slips of paper. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, there was one sorry. other thing I was going to um, mention before. Have you heard of this um, new paranoid delusion that's grown out of these stories called the Truman delusion? I think. Yes, no. I've heard. I've heard of this. Yeah, the idea, the idea that basically you are living a kind of Truman Show kind of life. Yeah, it just mm-hmm. came ever since the movie uh, 
came out. So it used to be that people would be paranoid that, I don't know, the FBI or someone was watching you or there was some conspiracy mm-hmm. against you. But now the new, since the Truman Show came out, there's been a new um, psychosis where people think they're part of a big reality TV show and everyone's watching them. And <laughs> That explains why they're tweeting so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How come my followers don't match all oh, the... the they're unfollowing. They're secretly following me. Yeah. Yes, they're secretly following. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's just a uh, amplification of previous psychoses and just filter yeah. through, through through the Truman Show to just a new form. I mean, it's something. I mean, that that they're all watching us is a classic paranoid delusion. Mm-hmm. But, but they they're all watching us on TV. It's like God in in Berkeley's argument, right? They apparently Skype is completely transparent to the NSA. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> not that we have a problem here because this is going to be out on a show for everyone. But <laughs> well, hopefully our NSA handlers are enjoying this preview of this it's episode. It's a computer. That's the thing is, it, it's not actually a person, right? It, it's a computer. It's all stored. That's right. It's all stored, so it's actually more like um, I, I. I think that you know, thinking about why I, why I love that um 13th floor even though it's kind of a crappy movie and i mean it's beautiful to look at even even the you know the crappy special effects when they reach the edge of the edge of the world um it's still pretty um but one of the things that i like about it is because this is actually often what our reality is like like i spend a lot of time playing computer games Simulated in a simulated world, right? Sometimes the characters I'm shooting at or whatever I'm doing with them are are real people uh, on you know in another room in another part of the continent, or sometimes they're you know just completely made up. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> when when you don't know the difference, you know, like if you're playing in a game with some real characters and some people and some artificial characters you sort of wonder uh well does the world exist when you're not playing it like (laughs) (laughs) and the answer is uh maybe because you know sometimes the server is empty right there's no persons in it um then there's no dynamic action happening in it uh then presumably that world doesn't exist but as soon as you have one player in there waiting for other players that world exists and then if you go away you go to the bathroom <laughs> you know come back and that world's still going um it was going without you but what if it's robots running around in there or or, so, or ai's yeah having their own yeah that's lives. what i mean yeah ai's in you know computer robots is what i meant mm-hmm. and like and the thing is is the that layering of of you know uh mixing people with the reality this is so cool because I, you guys know about Minecraft, right? Yeah. Okay, so Minecraft, you know, it's a single-player game or it's a multiplayer game, right? But it's not really a game. And one of the things that they do there is they build up worlds. And and I just, I was saying this is like such a big deal. And I, I didn't see a million people clamoring about it. Like I was like, I was telling everybody. Um, when they built a computer inside of Minecraft, did you guys see that? I think this is the most amazing thing. Yeah, it's like some some some, some primitive Andor junctions. Yeah, yeah, super. It was an eight bit machine, right? It's really simple. 
Um, it uses like torches to light, light things up, right? Uh, the ones and zeros are turned off by torches and water or something. Um, but they can run like, you know, a really simple program. There's a calculator in there. Somebody built a calculator and it's a giant physical object inside this artificial mm. world where you press, you jump on the uh, eight and then you run over to the plus symbol, you know, jump on that. And it's a, it's a, it's a simple, tiny computer, right? Inside a world. And it takes forever to calculate. But given enough time, there's going to be a computer program inside of that crappy computer that they've simulated in uh, a game like Minecraft that will run a simulation, right? Mm -hmm. This is an inevitability, unless there's, you know, some limitation on time or computing that we don't know about. This is a logical inevitability. If you can make a calculator in Minecraft, you can make a Commodore 64 in Minecraft. You make a Commodore 64 in Minecraft, you can make a, or whatever is the equivalent of Minecraft, uh, you can, you can make a modern, uh, supercomputer. Not that we have those things anymore, but you know, you know what I mean. And then those characters can play video games. Mm-hmm. A simulation within the simulation. They can play Minecraft. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thing is, is when I think about what's wrong with, with, um, that movie, 13th Floor, is that the time's wrong. When they go back in time for two hours, it takes two hours in that world. Right. right? When, we program a computer to have a program inside of it because the the world is you know a much more compressed model of our universe um the calculations take time on the computer right and so if you were wanting to simulate a world you know like if you had a minecraft computer like a computer with a windows operating system in minecraft that was running minecraft it would take more time to calculate that because you have to also calculate our world and our computer. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So every time they go up a level, there should be a lot less, a lot more time going past. So when, when, uh, the Craig Burko character from the 1999 world goes up to the 2024 world, every hour that they're in the 1999 world should be like, I don't know, 50 hours or something like that. And when they go down, it should be uh, the same thing. It should be 50 hours because <laughs> in assuming that, you know, the laws of physics all work equally <laughs> well in the actual physical reality of 2024, going down a level, it should be harder to calculate and, require more energy and processing time. True. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, it's a, now, because it's got, that ties it back into Inception, which does that. Right? I was thinking that, yeah, because the level more time passes ever slower mm-hmm. as you go down the levels of Inception. And mm-hmm. then, so you get to that point where it's almost like an infinity of time is a That's moment right. in the real world. That's right. All science fiction can be tied together by uh, this novel, even though it itself is not, um, uh, yeah, this is, uh, 
Uh, it, it, it's, it's on the, it's on the Galant's masterworks. So is it a masterwork? <laughs> I don't know. It, is it certainly interesting to talk about? Hell yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what's Watts? Uh, no, Sherlock Holmes says to Watson, it itself is not luminous, but it is a good conductor of light. Uh, he's talking about Watson. <laughs> um, yeah, this, this book is not itself a luminary book, but it's really good at focusing thought about all these things around it. And like, I don't know that the guy who wrote the Truman show read this book, but it, if he did, he didn't rip it off. Exactly. He, he was just spinning it off. It was inspired yeah, it feels, by it. I, feels very it feels, inspired by it. Yeah. I I think this book works. I, I and maybe, maybe it, maybe it helped. I think this would be, would have been a good book in the fifties for people who have never read science fiction to, get into mm. it because it does start so mundanely and then yeah at the it, grocery store right and then it doesn't get that that out there especially for dick or for science fiction but enough that you can peek behind the you can peek behind the curtain of reality and see that there's things much more surreal than you ever imagined this has been the sff audio podcast Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.